Greetings Arlington. This is Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. My name is Ed Mellick and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietry. Sal, how are you doing today? Ed, doing great, man. I'm, I'm excited to kick off this show. You know, when you and I had this idea six months ago, we, we wanted to have a show that would really showcase the uncommon, just compelling stories in this community of love, you know, service, forgiveness, sacrifice, and really spur people to action, to give people an opportunity in this great community across the DC metro area to get involved. And I'll tell you, I'm really excited about our first guest tonight. Agreed. Uh, today we're joined by Milton Brown. Uh, Milton is a longtime DC resident who battled a heroin addiction for 37 years. And in the same year he overcame his addiction, he became homeless and remained so for four years. Milton never knew his father, and his mother abandoned him and his brother when he was nine years old. He, has, he was the father of two sons, one of whom was murdered over 20 years ago on the streets of D.C., and the other whom he hasn't talked to in many years. Since emerging from homelessness in 2012, Milton has committed himself to raising awareness to the plight of the homeless and addicted, and to sharing the source of power that helped him emerge from a life of anguish. Milton, welcome to Grace in 30. First of all, I'd like to give honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Ed and Sal, for having me. Great to have you. Great to have you. I'll tell you, you're an inspiration, and, and we're just excited to have this 30 minutes with you, my friend. Thank you, my brother. So, Milton, um, as I prepared for the interview, I was struck by the length of your struggle with uh, addiction, heroin addiction. And I wondered at what point during, during those 37 years it occurred to you where you first realized that you were, in fact, an addict. I realized that, I guess, about my 10th, between the 10th and the 15th year of addiction. Um, I, see, Brother Ed, I, I, I suffered with a few other things way before the addiction. And uh, the addiction is just a symptom of things that, that I struggled with before the addiction, which was abandonment, rejection, feeling less than, inadequate, and never feeling like I measured up to anything. And, and was some of that a result of the fact that you didn't know your dad and, and your mom left early? Yes, yes. So, so you came to this realization, so many years passed by before you kicked uh, that addiction. Tell us a little bit about how you, you decided to do that, who helped you, and, and what you went through. Well, I went through a it was Christmas Day of 2008. I was sleeping under a building at 777 North Capitol Street, directly across from the government printing office building. It was 11 other people sleeping under that building with me, sleeping under that building nine nights in a cardboard box. I mean, freezing cold. But that Christmas Day, the other 11 people had somewhere to go and someone wanted to see them. I had nowhere to go. Nobody wanted to see me. So I looked up and down North Capitol. I was the only one on the streets. And this feeling of torment and loneliness set in my spirit and my soul. So I cried out to God and I asked him, Lord, if you are who you say you are, I need you to show me now. Tears flowing and snot running out my nose. Just feeling pure emptiness. So I called a, a brother, one of the brothers that was in the 
fellowship, NA fellowship. He lived, moved to New Jersey, and I asked him, would he help me? And he heard my, heard my pain and my cry. And he asked me where I was, and I gave him the address. He said, stay there, I'll be there in three and a half hours. So I talked to another brother in the fellowship that lived over, not exactly Deanwood, but on the Addison Road area, right? So he came over and sit with me until my brother from New Jersey came. This was not my blood brother, but a brother in the NA fellowship, which I considered a brother because he was closer than my own brother was to me. I, uh, he finally got there and they took me to a cheap motel on New York Avenue in Bladensburg Road called the Budget Motel. That's where I cold turkey down, laid in my own feces, my own vomit, and my own urine for 24 hours, every joint in my body aching with the intensity of an earache and a toothache mixed together, body going through convulsions. God brought me through those 24 hours because you were as close to death as you possibly can be at that point. But the next 48 hours is a mental thing because heroin, the heroin is still calling you. It's calling you. Your body's rejecting it, but your mental state of being is still going through the process of wanting it. But I had my mind made up whatever I had to go through. I was going to get through this demon. I was going to get rid of this demon out of my life. For that demon controlled me too many years of my life. I, uh, I learned also through, through therapy that uh, it was just not the heroin addiction, but the abandonment issues, the rejection, the feeling less than and inadequate and never measuring up, which what led me to that and had me running from Milton Brown for 37 years. But today I don't, I no longer run from Milton Brown or whatever's going on in Milton's life, I face it. And only by the grace of God that I'm able to get through whatever happens because I've learned to lean on him and know that he's there. Yeah, what seems really amazing about this is that uh, you had that long period of addiction and you kicked it and then it was followed by four years of homelessness, and, and you didn't fall back into the drug use. And I find that fascinating. It, can you explain that? Well, living in, in sleeping, well, I'm not gonna say living in a shelter because that was not my home. And I never considered that my home. I always said this is temporarily, just temporary. This, this is not a place that I'm gonna call home. No way, I'm not gonna do that. Because if you start doing that, then you end up comfortable with that. And I don't want to ever be comfortable with being homeless. So what I did, I, I pressed into the Word of God. I read His Word. I prayed. I listened to the, my gospel music. But I knew if I got comfortable with that, statistics show within a certain period of time, mental illness was set in your into your mental state of being once you become comfortable with that. And I wanted, God didn't have, God didn't plan for me to be that way. No, he had a better plan for me just like anybody else, but you have to do the work in order to stay where, where I wanted to stay. I wanted to stay in a place where I'm moving forward, not constantly 
on a merry-go-round all of my life because that's what I was for 37 years on a merry-go-round and didn't know how to get off of it. Matt, what you just said there is so powerful because, you know, so many people that you know are caught in these vicious cycles and yet they, they become comfortable, like you said, whether it's addiction or some other problem that they have and they, they you know, to, for you, your faith broke you out of that. But how many people out there are listening are, are maybe stuck in some cycle and are looking for someone maybe a motivator like yourself to say, today I'm going to start breaking that cycle in some small way. And what are some of the other low points? I mean, clearly kicking the addiction had to be extremely difficult. Were there other periods that were particular lows that really stand out in your mind that you went through? Well, there's two. 1996, when my oldest son was murdered, that was Oh, I really, I really struggle with trying to keep my mental state of being, even in my addiction. I still found myself praying because I, my grandmother raised my brother and I, and, and we literally had to go to church seven days a week. I hated it, but <laughs> thank God for that because it gave me something to hold on to. Uh, the 27th Psalm, I repeated that over and over during that period. You see, when my son was first killed after about four months of it, I walked that street at Hanover and North Capitol with a nine millimeter with no clip and nothing in the chamber, hoping I would find someone with a pistol that would kill me. Guilt mm. was eating me up inside. Mm. But when I got through that, every I did this for about four or five nights constantly, I mean straight, hoping really wanting somebody to take me out. But each night God brought me through it and I found myself re repeating the 27th Psalm over and over. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes came upon me, my flesh they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart should not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing about the desire of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall set me up upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. That kept me. It kept me. I know it did, without a shadow of a doubt. So I thank God for my grandmother for taking us to church seven days a week. <laughs> I didn't think it then, but I do now. <laughs> That's amazing, amazing. So, so what maybe describe to us some of the fears that you had i got one more low point please now it was about four months after i became homeless i was walking from new york avenue to union station to take a bird bath that's that's what i did i took a bird bath for about four years because i took a shower once in that shelter and my body ended up with lit lice all over it and foot fungus. So I said, no, I would never do that anymore. But that one morning, oh, this, this spirit of suicide was really trying to take my mind and make me go through it. But I cried out to God. I remember Jeremiah 33 and 3, God says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So the Holy Spirit really came, man, because I found myself doing something that I didn't know where it came from, 
And I still do it today to encourage myself when there's no one else around to encourage me. This is a little small thing I do. Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, Jesus, have your way. Brother, that takes me to a place where I'm ready to fight the enemy now. Bring it on. <laughs> you just took us to a place, Fred and I. We're ready. Raise the Lord. We're ready to raise our hands in here. Look, I mean, you know, you, you hit on a point about this, and, and man, that was, that was incredible. Um, you know, even in these times, you know, w what kind of gave you some joy? I mean, you just talked about these psalms and, and just that simple praise. But, you know, was there any joy in this that you found or were able to find, you know, it, it, while you were homeless? I mean, you know, people look at the homeless and they say, oh, there's a homeless person. But, you know, you've said these are real people. You know, these are people out there just just like us. You know, there but for the grace would go us. And, and you also mentioned once before in something I read that little things like when you would go to this particular church and you could sit in the quiet and read the paper and watch the news without all the chaos of the shelter. Yeah. Anything like that? Yes, I would. I would go to uh, St. Aloysius Church, uh, which is Father McKinney Center. Uh, I would leave leave the shelter five thirty in the morning because you had to be out at six, and there was this guy with a cowbell every morning, and he would bounce that cowbell and say. I don't know where you're going, but you got to get the H-E-L-L -L out of here. Mm. I found that so degrading that I said to myself, I would never give him another opportunity to do that to me. Not that I'm better than no one, but I'm a child of God. We don't treat people that way. You wouldn't want anyone to treat you that way. So I would go down to St. Aloysius Church and Father McKenna Center and sit there and I could watch the news and peace and quietness where in the shelter there was this prison mentality where there was noise all the time. I mean, there was men raping men. There was men harming each other. Every day the police was locking a man up. Every day an ambulance was taking another man out. It was so chaotic. And I've never been in that type of atmosphere before. So just being able to sit somewhere where it's quiet and you can really just listen to something on the TV gave me joy. But what gave me the most joy was in Union Station talking to my other homeless brothers and, and telling them about the goodness of God. And they asking me, Brother Milton, how can you be so happy in this mess? Brother, if you know the God that I serve, he'll give you the same joy that he gave me. He says it in St. John 14th chapter, the joy that I give you, the world cannot take it because it did not give it to you. I laughed more in that four years in that homeless shelter than I ever did in the 37 years of being on heroin. Amen. So some of the, some of the things that 
or hurtful to you? I know you want to share with us and to sort of talk about people and how they inter- interact with the homeless. I, I think you had a lot of experience with that and, and that stuck with you. What would you like to share with the listeners about the, about the homeless and how we should maybe see them differently and interact with them differently? Well, first of all, I would like to say this. Remember, please remember that one of your family members could be in that situation and don't think it can't happen because it can. Second of all, if you don't talk to a homeless person, how can you know who they are or what they are or what they're made of? That's just like if any normal person doesn't quote unquote that's not homeless, if they don't talk to each other, how can they know what each other are made of? We're just like you. We're human beings. And all we wanted, all we all I wanted when I was out there is just for someone to acknowledge me as a human being. See me the way you see yourself. Because when you're looking at me, you are looking at yourself, another human being. And we're all from one race. That's the human race. Yep. So if you were to wake up tomorrow and you didn't have to worry about money or health or anything else, what would you what would you do? I would go out and find someone that's less fortunate than myself and do whatever I need to do to make their day a better day. I know what my days were like out there. It was nice and it would it would it was so it hurt it hurt so deeply that people would look at you as if you were less than an animal. Don't get me wrong, I love animals. I love some animals. I love I love the, the uh, corgi. I love the corgi. I love the lab. I love the collie. I love birds. But God says he gave us dominion over the animals, not animals dominion over us. So why would you treat a dog better than you treat me as a human being. When you are a human being, it doesn't add up. It tells me that there's something inside of you that you are trying to hide. So you need to make me feel less than because of my circumstances. But I learned not to allow anyone to do that to me. Whenever I encountered it, God gave me wisdom to be able to look at a person and use a sense of humor and turn it back on them. Give them a feeling of making them or helping them think that they are superior. But no, you're not. You're just like I am. You're just in a better circumstance. You may be better off, but you're never better than. Amen. Well, that's right, Milton. And I was sharing a story with you after I after I first heard you talk a, a few weeks ago. You know, the next day I was out uh, walking and encountered someone who was homeless, and I stopped and I talked to them a little bit and I helped them out. And then a few days later, I had another opportunity where someone came up to me and I started chatting with them a little bit, and I felt better. You know, I helped him out, but it, you know, I'm looking to forward continue that conversation uh, because, like you said, you know, it, behind every homeless person is someone who's struggling with something. Someone who just needs a friend, someone who just needs a little bit of a push, some help, someone just to listen. As you said, that, that sort of quiet period helped you. And, and so, you know, I thank you for, the, for giving me that 
encouragement and that opportunity just hearing you that one time on TED Talks, which was incredible. So I, I definitely, you know, you've moved me to try and engage with the homeless and, and hopefully for our listeners, you're giving some tips and advice on how they can start just simply engaging people. Just treat someone with a, with a word of kindness. Maybe if you can help them out a little bit along the way, keep practicing that. I mean, that, that in itself builds on itself. And, and, you know, we start a conversation with someone who's, who's desperately trying to, to have a conversation with someone back. Yeah, I agree. I had, a, I had a, a similar experience up in New York City once on Broadway, and I had seen a homeless person before that, um, and it just, they were so bundled up in their blankets and everything, you couldn't even see them. And I made a note to stop and talk to the next person I saw, and I, I saw a woman homeless, and I knelt down with her and asked her if she actually wanted to say a prayer together. And, you know, she wept and put her head on my, on my shoulder. And I found out her name was Kimberly. And, um, you know, I gave her some money and chatted with her. And I just thought that was somebody's precious little girl. You know, she was a five-year-old at one time or a 10-year-old. And she has, she has a, a problem. She has an addiction to alcohol. It's very clear she had been drinking quite a bit. And it just moved me really profoundly that these, these are people. And some of them are there from choices they made. And some of them not because of choices. And, that, and that's what I want to go on to next is yes, there are, there are some, I think, I think there's a more higher percentage of some that have made choices to put themselves in that state of being. But there are some that are, out, that are there because of circumstances, being laid off of a job, being able not to, not to be able to pay enough make enough money to pay for rent or mortgage or whatever but I want to go back to what you were say, what you both were saying Sal and Ed when you stopped and talked to a homeless person didn't that make you feel good just to just to know that you interacted with someone less fortunate than you but what's the most profound thing I heard you say was this woman that was in a bad situation and bad circumstances had enough compassion that she wanted to pray for you. Yeah. And right. that, it, it, that you will find a lot in the homeless sector. People have more compassion for other human beings than people that, that are not in the homeless sector would do to, for another human being. Am I making sense yeah. there? Yeah, and, and it was very attractive to people. They, what I noticed is as I talked to her and we prayed and, and she put her head on me, other people started to stop, and, and, and it became contagious. It is contagious. Yeah. I tell you, doing that, that, that journey, I learned so much, so much. I saw, I saw such a compassion in the homeless sector homeless brothers and sisters they could have i've seen a situation where one guy had one sandwich there was three other guys they were hungry he cut it in four pieces and shared his sandwich you don't find that too much in quote unquote normal society people are too selfish where they where in the homeless sector as a camaraderie to help one another to Try to hold on and keep your sanity. That was my biggest fear of losing my sanity in that place. Because if I lost my mind, it's probably a place I've been the rest of my life. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, to, to your point, Milton, how many times do we walk by someone who's homeless and whether we help them or not, what do they say? God bless you. Thank you. And, and we're so jaded in this well-to-do society that we think that it's some kind of a script. And yet that simple blessing of offering that up to someone, offering a word of kindness is what's help, helping to hold that person together. And for you know, how many of us just take that for granted or don't even offer a word of kindness back? You really made me think about it. I mean, how many times do we walk by people who are destitute or are homeless? We walk by them, we ignore them, and what do they say? But thank you or God bless you. And and we have come become so jaded that we don't even understand they mean it. This is really what's holding these people together every day in our society. That is so true, Sal. In the homeless sector, brother, I, I, I've been there. Church and the, and, 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 and the presence of God is the only thing that really keeps, keeps you while you're there, while you're stuck in that madness. But what you said for a homeless person to say God bless to a person, God bless you to a person that's not homeless, but the person that's not homeless can't say that to a homeless person. Something's wrong with that. That doesn't look too good at all for normal society. Yeah, it's interesting we're talking about really uh, blessing people and thankfulness. We talked about a little bit before that. Amen. I had challenged you when we met at Union Station this past Sunday to think about if you had a name some sort of a God-given name that indicated what you're about, what that name would be, and, and your answer was? Thankfulness. I, I thank God that he's put a spirit inside of me, even, and it, and it was instilled in me in, in, while I was homeless. I always had, he gave, he gave me a spirit to find something to be thankful for, and I always had something to be thankful for. First blessing, to be thankful for as he woke me up this morning. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for as God's will unto us in Christ Jesus. There's always something to be thankful for. And that's amazing. 41 years of combined struggling with heroin and homelessness, and yet you've got this thankfulness. You saw the beauty of what came out of that, Amen. which is which is amazing. So, so do you have any organizations that you'd like to encourage the listeners? If someone out there is thinking they have a heart for the homeless, they might want to get involved and serve in some way. Are there any organizations that you'd like to say, you know, I really think I respect this organization or that and recommend maybe our listeners look into if they have a heart for serving? There's one, there's two organizations, one called Little Lights, located in Potomac Garden, Southeast, that helps children, homeless children, wow. or children that are, that are without both parents or one parent, which is a, I mean, it's a very powerful organization. The next one is Sums, so others may eat. So, and how do you, how do you spell that? S O S O M E. Okay. So, so you've had experience with these organizations, and yes, and and you think highly of them. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we're running out of time here. Is there anything a final comment you'd like to make, just sort of as a, a parting piece of advice or, or challenge to the listeners, a, a call to action? I like to challenge all listeners to just practice love. 
practice loving your brothers and sisters. It doesn't cost anything. The government can't get any taxes on it. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's your choice. Make the choice to practice love. Great. Fantastic. I yeah, love th- it. Thank you so much, Milton. I mean, look, we really appreciate your insights. You know, l- let's get real. Ed and I need to hear these messages as, as much as our listeners, and that's why we came up with the show. You know, for our listeners, you know, we hope you begin to see these sort of interactions with the homeless and, and deal with them in a more kind and compassionate manner. I mean, for those of you who want to do more, I mean, that the Little Lights organization that, you know, that Milton talked about, I mean, these are people helping homeless children right in our neighborhood and in the D.C. area. We're going to be posting information about this on our Facebook uh, and Twitter pages. Look, if you want to give us feedback about this first show, um, you know, think of someone who would be a great guest, someone that you know in the community. Please contact us at gracein30 at gmail.com. Again, that's gracein30, G-R-A-C-E-I-N 30 at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to follow us on Twitter at gracein30 and on Facebook and gracein30. We'd love to hear uh, how this show moved you and, and get your feedback. Um, for those who are listening, a replay of this show can be found on WERA's website about 24 hours after the show is aired. Next week, we're going to be hosting a gentleman named Brian Jones, whose organization is managing the Food Fight event at Dulles Expo Center on the 13th through the 15th of May. They plan to enlist 22,000 volunteers uh, to pack 5 million meals for starving children overseas. It should be an amazing event. If you'd like more information and you want to sign up or to volunteer, please go to www.2016foodfight.com. That's 2016foodfight.com. This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM.